Welcome to the 26 West Church Sunday Gathering Podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching helps you experience life in Jesus. How are we doing this morning? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I was, you know you're in the right place. After I spent a lot of time in in Arizona, born and raised in Northern California, I'm greeted this morning as I walk up uh, to, hey, how you doing? Doing good. Hey, Stephen, are you excited? Three weeks till Seahawks football. And I was like, I'm in the right place. I'm in the right place after being a long lost fan. Hey, my name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. And I am excited that the NFL is starting up in a few weeks. I got football on the mind. Uh, of course I'm rooting for the Seahawks. I, I, I'm a good guy with morals and, you know, like standards. 49ers fans, I'm praying for you diligently that your hopes and dreams would be dashed, crushed, just have a horrible year. Uh, here's the deal about football, whether college, professional, any of that. Uh, there is a halftime recap. Right, right? They go to the commentators in the TV studio and, you know, they share updates, highlights, the major storylines, you know, the analysis of the first half. Every game they do this, right? And so today, we actually are reaching the halfway point of the book of Colossians. To reach the halfway point of Colossians. So to kick us off, I thought we'd have some fun with this. I'm going to give you the Stephen Collins uh, Colossians Halftime Recap. So you're going to need your Bibles. Open your Bibles. Uh, This is unscripted. We're just going to roll with this. Again, we're we're going to loosen up here. Open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We're going to cover uh, just a quick halftime recap where we've been. So, Paul writing this letter to the people of Colossae. He's writing it from prison. Uh, He's writing it from prison. He's never been to Colossae. He's never met these people before. And and he is writing to them. Colossae is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, Again, this is a small town that he's never visited. And Paul has this goal to present them mature in Christ, that they'd have a mature view of Jesus, a mature view of what Jesus has done for them, a mature view of how they should respond to Jesus. This is the goal of the letter. And we see this all throughout this thing. Uh, He's shaping their view of Christ, that he indeed is Lord over all. He wants them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, chapter 1 says, that they grow in their knowledge of God, rightly understanding God, rightly responding to God. He wants them to understand that, verse 12, he has qualified them, he has delivered them from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light, what we just sang about, that he is the one who has redeemed them and forgiven their sins. Verse 15 of chapter 1, we get this high point of the New Testament as Paul just goes off, just saying this amazing reality of who Christ is. He's the one who made all things. He's the one who is before all things. He's the one that everything was made for. It's by him. It's for him. All things are held together through Christ. He is the supreme one. He is the preeminent one. He's the one before. He's the one above. He is greater. This is who this Christ is. This is who this Jesus is. He's the one who is reconciling all things to himself, things in heaven or things on earth. Because again, he is Lord over all. But also we see that we need to have a right response to this Jesus, a right response to this Jesus. We see Paul suffering uh, in, in the middle there of chapter 1, verse 24. He's rejoicing in his sufferings. We see that there's this union with Christ, that who we are, like, we've been buried with Christ. We've, we're dead to sin with Christ. We're alive with Christ. But also verse 127, it, it, this union with Christ also means that Christ is in us, the hope of glory, the hope of glory. We also see a theme in Colossians that uh, there's all these false teachers that are bringing these counter-narratives to who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for them, and ultimately uh, how they are to respond. We see them proclaiming these empty philosophies, these false worldviews, these false perspectives, and Paul is correcting these things. He wants them to understand that, that the way to life is embracing the gospel, that it is sufficient, that we were dead in our trespasses, that we, he has canceled the record of debt that stood against us. He's nailed it to the cross. And Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has triumphed over every power and principality, evil and sin. Jesus is victorious. As we talked about, come join the victory parade. The thesis of the book, chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. And these false teachers, as we talked about last week, the way that they're saying to walk in the light, to walk in the life, is the way of legalism. But Paul says, Do not touch, do not handle, do not taste. These things, they may have an outward appearance of wisdom, but they're of no help in stopping the indulgences of the flesh, the sinful desires. So, 
That's where we've been. It's in a packed book. I was talking with a few people. Colossians is not a book that's uh, very hard to understand, like, what it's saying, but it's really hard to apply what it's saying. Uh, that is, book has been loaded. And this really brings us to today's text, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Your Bibles likely have a heading here at the start of chapter 3. The NIV says, quote, living as those made alive in Christ. And I'd actually say this is a really helpful summary of where Paul's going to be going the rest of the letter. The question is, how does being made alive in Christ shape our lives? We've been transferred into a new kingdom and a new family. The gospel says Jesus is Lord, that God is our Father. But what does life look like in this new kingdom and family? What does life look like in this new kingdom and family? This is where we're going, the whole back half of Colossians. This is kind of your halftime preview of what is to come. So the question is, are you with me? You ready to get after it? All right, let's do it. Let's pray. Let's get into it. And uh, let's, let's welcome in the third quarter here, if you will. So, Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living and active. Thank you for Colossians. Thank you for that, all that we've been talking about uh, as Paul uh, wrote this to this people 2,000 years ago in a place we've never been, to a people we've never met. It still impacts our lives. It's still for us today. It still changes our lives today. As you've used this first half, Lord, would you use this second half? Would you use it for your glory? Would you use it for our good uh, in this place, Lord? Would you change our lives with it? In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 11. I got three movements for us as we look here. Uh, number one, how do we live as those made alive in Christ? Number one, you can go to it, is we need to get our minds right. Get your mind right. If you're taking notes, write that down. Get your mind right. Verse 1, let's see what it's saying. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So the question, how do we live as those made alive in Christ? First, Paul's arguing we need to get our minds right. We need to get our minds right. We need to adopt a mindset that reflects our new status, our new identity, our new reality in Christ. See, Paul says to set your mind, set your will, set your focus on Christ, but also to set our hearts, to set our affections, to set our desires on Christ. See, specifically, Paul says to set your hearts and minds on the things above, right? That's what, what the text says. Set your hearts and minds on the things above, because this is where Christ is. And church family, I come here, we open this, the scriptures, we can never remind ourselves too much of this, what I'm about to say. Church, let us be encouraged. Jesus is alive. We can never hear this too much. Jesus is alive, and right now, presently, he is ruling and reigning as Lord and King over all. He is seated in heaven at the right hand of God today. This is where Jesus is. Like, this is good news. Paul is reminding us that Jesus reigns. Jesus has won. Jesus has all power. And Jesus is alive. So, set your hearts and minds on these things. Set your hearts and minds on the things above where Christ is. Set your mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things. What is Paul talking about? This doesn't mean don't focus on the physical creation. Like, don't think about the trees. Don't think about the earth. Like, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's saying don't fixate your attention. Don't let your focus be on the things of this world that are contrary to Christ. The flesh, the sinful nature, the patterns, the cultures, the systems of sin. Don't set your mind on these things. Set your mind on Christ. Set your mind on his word. Fill our mind with these words of scripture. Just set our minds on his way, on Jesus' way, on his patterns, on his power, on his character, who Christ is, on his values, on his gospel, on his story. Fill our minds, brothers and sisters, with these things. Filling our minds with the things of Christ. Here's the deal. What you think about, you become. What you think about, you become. What your mind focuses on shapes your life. And either we will fill our mind with the values of this world, and we will be shaped and molded and formed into the image of this world, or we will fill our minds with the things of Christ and be shaped and molded and formed into his image, into the image of Christ. So the question is, let's just take an audit here just for a second uh, of our thoughts. Where are you giving your mind to? Where are you giving your mind to? It's a Monday and Tuesday afternoon. 
Where's your mind? Just kind of, where does it naturally drift toward? Where's your mind drifting to? Again, another special out of Tuesday afternoon. Where is your mind going to? What are the channels that have been carved out that just the water naturally flows to? Where are you giving your mind to? See, the athlete, his mind is set on the things of his sports. The athlete, her mind is set on the things of her sport. Her mind just drifts towards the playbook. His mind just drifts towards a game planning. It drifts towards the championship, right? The chef, their, their mind is set on the things of food. The athlete, their mind is set on the things of the sport, the chef, the things of the food, the pianist, the things of music, it's harmonies, melodies, it's the things of music. And for the Christian, our mind should be set on the things of Christ. See, my mind, I belong to Jesus. He's Lord over all. My mind is Jesus' territory. My mind is Jesus. See, my, my mind is not full of partisan politics. That is not the vision for my mind. My mind is not full of visions to the left or the right. My mind is not filled with the isms of our culture. My mind is not full of nationalism, consumerism. This is what we're called to, brothers and sisters. Our mind is not called to be filled with nationalism and consumerism and racism. Our mind is called to be full of the things of Christ. Our mind is not called to be full of values that are contrary to Christ. Our mind is Christ's territory, so it's called to be full of the things of him. Are you with me? See, Paul's saying, adopt a mindset that reflects who you are. A- an athlete, naturally, like this is, have your mind on the things of athletics. We are Christians. We are bought by the blood of Jesus. We are sons and daughters of God. Adopt a mindset that reflects who you are. But this begs a question. We need to know who we are. If we're going to adopt a mindset that reflects who we are, then we need to know who we are, truly. We've got to get our mind right, right? We've got to get our mind right, set it on the things of Christ, but also know who we are in Christ. Let's keep looking at that text. Let's get back to Colossians 1, 2, and then let's add verse 3. Let's look at this together. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Verse 3, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. See, Paul, what he's doing here is he's helping plant the Colossians' feet. He's helping plant our feet as well on the solid ground that this is who you are in Christ. Verse 3 says, you died. You died. And it's obviously not talking about physically dead, right? Like, Paul's not out there preaching to a graveyard. He's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritually being dead to sin, dead to your old ways. But verse 1, you are raised with Christ. You are alive, living out his ways. This is who you are. Get your mind right. Know who you are. You are dead to sin. You are alive with Christ. Notice what it says. You died, and your life is now hidden with Christ. We've got to talk about that word hidden for a second. Again, we've got to know who we are. We've got to know uh, our identity. When we think about hidden, don't think about playing hide-and-seek. Two young kids, don't think about playing hide-and-seek. Don't think about hiding something in secrecy. The imagery that Paul's talking about here of hidden is about being kept safe and protected with Christ. Paul is saying that your life, your salvation, your inheritance, your identity is shielded by Christ. It is hidden with Christ. It is safe with Christ. It is secure because of Christ. It's secure with the one who is stronger than all. It is secured by the one who's preeminent and supreme. That same one is the one who protects your identity, salvation, and inheritance. It is secure. We are safe in Christ. Brothers, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. This, this, is, this is wild. Notice what it says in verse 1, though. It isn't saying that you will be raised with Christ one day. This is kind of the mind bender here. It says you have been already, right? Look, look at your Bible. What does it say in verse 1? You have already been raised with Christ. Your life in verse 3 now is hidden with Christ. This, this echoes what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. It'll be up on the screen. We've looked at this before. Let's just help clearly look at this. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is what? Here. The new is here. See, getting our mind right means seeing ourselves rightly. If we're going to live like those made alive in Christ, we really got to get in our bones. I want to belabor this point. I want to get this in our bones, that we have been made alive. This is not wishful thinking. We have been made alive. We are new. We are not the same people that we were before Christ. You have been born again, made alive. 
I am not who I once was. You are not who you once were. My sin does not define my life. Your sin does not define your life. Our identity is Christ. The old has gone. The new is here. You died. It's a done deal. And your life is now hidden with Christ. Death is final. And your life is now hidden with Christ. You have been raised. Would we get that in our bones, friends? Are you with me? Would we get this in our bones? I want to just take a step back, though, because I think many of us are probably feeling a tension right now. See, the Christian life, faith, this whole thing is marked by something called the already and the not yet. The already and the not. We've got to embrace this. We've got to really get this if we're going to get our minds right. We need to really understand the already and not yet. What do I mean? We are dead to sin. Everything I just talked about. We are dead to sin, but sin still has power, right? <laughs> it's not been fully put away with yet. Like, sin still has power. It's not yet fully put away. We are alive in Christ, saved but not yet living in a new creation. If this is what it is, I'm very disappointed. Like, we're not yet fully uh, having glorified bodies. We're not yet fully living in the new creation. Already, not yet. So, if we're going to get our minds right, we need to know our already identity in Christ and our not yet destiny with Christ. We need to know our already identity in Christ, but our not yet destiny with Christ. Let's look at Colossians again, verses 1. Let's add 2, 3, and let's add verse 4. Look through this lens. Since then you have been already, have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not earthly things, for you died already, right? You died, and your life is now already hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will, here's our not yet, you will appear with him in glory. Already, not yet. We are alive in Christ, but waiting for the day when Jesus will appear. He will return in glory, and we will be with him in glory as well. I feel like part of my job here is to remind us of the truth. What awaits us? What is your destiny if you are in Christ? New bodies, new creation, no more sin, Every residue of sin and evil and injustice done away with, every tear wiped away, we will be with him in glory. This is good news. This is good news. No more death, no more evil, life forever. Christ is our life. This is our identity. Christ is our life. This is our identity. Christ is coming again, and we will appear with him in glory. This is our destiny. Our identity is Christ. Our destiny is we will one day be with him. We will one day appear like him. Jesus is the foretaste. He is the forerunner. As real as Jesus rose from the dead, that is our destiny as well. Big picture. How do we live as those made alive by Christ? That's what we're talking about today. What does life look like in the kingdom and family of God? See, Paul's saying we need to get our minds right. That's his first thing. Let's get our minds right. Setting our minds on the things of Christ. Knowing our identity and destiny in Christ. So we can accurately live in response to Christ. Again, what we think about, we become. We've got to get our minds right. So if you're taking notes, you got that down, right? First one. Got to get our mind right. You can go to the next slide. And number two, get violent with your sin. I'm going to explain. Some of you are like, whoa, that's intense, Stephen. Uh, get violent. Verse five, what does it say? Put to death. I think part of my job is to stand like sober-minded up here. The stakes are high. The stakes are really high. I, we are so comfortable in the West. We are so comfortable, and I'm thankful for much of that. But we can get lulled to sleep to the reality of what the Scriptures are talking about. We are called to get violent with our sin, to not coddle these things, but to violently oppose, to wage war. Look what that verse says. Put to death, therefore. 
whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Some of us in this place, we need to wake up. Verse 5, put to death your earthly nature, your flesh, your old self, all sin is destructive. But Paul, what he does here is he's focusing in on the destructive reality of sexual, sexual sin. So friends, if I'm going to be faithful to the text, we have to go there as well. To help cover this in, I want to look at a couple of verses here. First Peter 2, verse 11, and Romans 8, 13. They're both going to be on the screen. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Wage war. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Waging war, putting to death, these are not comfortable things. This is not just like nice, comfortable, neat, tidy. Like this is going to require effort and getting violent with our sin. We are not called to coddle. We are not called to cover up. We are not called to diminish. We are not called to seek to domesticate or to attempt to train our sinful nature and our sinful actions and our flesh. We are called to put it to death by the Spirit. We are called to get violent with our sin. Again, I think we need to wake up to these realities. We are called to get violent with our sin. We are called to wage war against our sin with all of the, the intensity, with all of the strategy, with all of the intensity, with all the intentionality that war requires. We are called to get violent. The stakes are high. John Owen famously said this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Proverbs talks about, with this language of sexual sin, he talks about, literally, it leads to death. It leads to death. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. N.T. Wright echoes, every Christian has a responsibility before God to investigate the lifelines of whatever sins are defeating him personally and to cut them off without pity. Better that than have them eventually destroy him. He's got to pause here in this. <laughs> There's a, a picture that came to mind with this. I, I, I don't know if anybody's I hate spiders. Anybody with me? I, amen. There you go. <laughs> I hate spiders. Imagine you come back from like a, a two-week vacation. You come back to your room and you like see all these spider webs. And you realize like there's all these black widows that have taken up residence in your bedroom. This is like a new nightmares for you to come home to, right? Like, Imagine, like, web after web of black widows. I grew up in Northern California with black widows. Like, yeah, I want nothing to do with this. Like, what you're not doing in that scenario, there ain't anybody here that's like, I'm just ignoring that and going to sleep. I'm tired. Like, let's just cuddle up into bed. They're probably going to stay in their corners. We're good, right? Like, no, you are staying up. I don't care how late. I don't care if you got in from a red-eye flight and you're there at 2 in the morning. You are staying up all night hunting down every single one of last Spider in the room. You are finding the source of how they got in. You're spraying your house to make sure that you're protected from future invasions. I'm going to burn my house down before I'm just sleeping in some spider-infested room, right? You are making sure that every single last one of those suckers is killed, dead, gone, right? Now you're not just like, eh, I'm going to set up a terrarium in the corner. I'm sure they'll stay over there. We got an agreement. You know, you stay in your part of the room. I got mine. No, you are hunting these things down because you know like, this is, this is not going to go well for you. You know these do not have your best intentions in mind. You know the way of life and flourishing. You're, like, you're not just like, well, they'll stay over there. You are checking every last corner and crack. You are making sure they are all dead, right? You're not thinking you got it under control. You're not thinking, well, they probably won't hurt me. And yet some of us are doing this with the sexual center of our lives. We are coddling it instead of killing it. We are tolerating it instead of terminating it. Brothers and sisters, get violent with your sin and kill it by the power of the Spirit. We have the weapons of war. We have confession. Some of you, we are hiding right now. There's a secret that you haven't been telling. You have the weapon of confession. Turn on the lights. So your enemy cannot hide in the dark any longer. Use the weapon of confession. 
we have the scriptures, which are called the sword of the Spirit to wage war against her. This is not cosplay. We have the sword of the Spirit, a weapon of war to kill our sin. We have community as a hunting party to fight this thing together. You are not on your own. You have brothers and sisters to fight this thing together. And most of all, we have the power of the gospel itself, which offers something better than sexual sin could ever offer. We have the gospel itself, which offers something better. To cover this in, I, w- I want to read a quote from one of my favorite books. This, about 15 years, read this and changed my life. Here's the quote. In Greek mythology, the sirens, they would sing enchanting songs, drawing sailors irresistibly toward the rocks in certain shipwreck. I was like, what a perfect picture for sexual sin and lust. A beautiful creature that sings beautiful music but is luring you in to certain death. Again, this just echoes the Proverbs. It sounds good. It looks good. It's just innocent. I'm not hurting anybody. Leads to death, the siren song. Odysseus, he filled his crew's ears with wax. He had them tie them to the mast. This is like the approach of legalism. We bind ourselves up with laws and disciplines in a vain attempt to resist temptation. i got to pause here for a second. This is exactly what Paul's talking about in the previous text in Colossians 2. Don't handle, don't touch, don't taste. Like, this, Paul says this is of no help. Legalism is of no help in stopping sinful desires. Of no help. And what happens to, to Odysseus is he suffers significant losses in death. It does not work. But Orpheus, on the other hand, don't miss this, played such a beautiful music on his harp that the sailors ignored the seductions of the siren song. This is the way of faith. The grace of the gospel sings a far more glorious song than the enticements of sin. If only we have faith to hear its music. Sing the better song. You either can try to drown out the song of the sirens by stuffing your ears, or you're going to play something more beautiful, something more captivating. We can truly put death, sexual sin in our lives when we see and savor something better. Jesus, his way, his gospel sings a better song, friends, than what sexual sin offers. Some of us, we need to be encouraged this morning and remember, porn is offering you comfort. It sings that song. It is offering you something. And it sounds good, but Jesus is better as the God of all comfort. See, Tinder and that person at the bar, they're offering you validation. They're offering you identity. If I can just get this person to sleep with me, if I can just get them to fall for me, then I'm somebody. That's the song that is being sung to you. If you just get them to do that with you, then that means you're someone. That means you're desirable. But Jesus sings a better song as the God who validates your worth by shedding his own blood to buy you back. You want to know you're worth something? Jesus sings a better song. Look no further than the bloody cross. He sings a better song. Friends, that same-sex community that is offering you acceptance and approval, that's the song. We'll accept you. We'll approve you. Jesus is better. He sings a better song because he's the only one who truly fully sees you, who truly fully knows you, and fully loves you. Something no human community could ever offer you. Sing the better song. Hookup culture is offering you joy and pleasure. That's the song it is singing, but Jesus is better. As Psalm 1611 says, in your presence, O God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, where Jesus is seated, are pleasures forevermore. If you want pleasure, if you want joy, look no further than Jesus. He is the pinnacle. In his presence is fullness of joy. Pleasures forevermore. Put to death sexual sin. Sing the better song, church. Amen? Do we see the difference? Like there is a massive difference between saying, just don't do it. Just don't commit the sin. Versus saying, Jesus is better than whatever that thing is offering. One is getting to the heart, to the desire. We don't just run to a computer screen just because it feels good. There's something pulling at our heart. And Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Again, would we get this in our bones? Let's go back to Colossians. Tying this together. Paul's logic is let the old man who died with Christ stay dead. 
Let that old man who died with Christ, let him stay dead. That is, become who you are. Become who you are. You are alive in Christ. So put to death the ways of the flesh. For that old man is dead. Let's live like it. You have a new power in you. You have a new power in you, the power of the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and gives you new power. We are not helpless. We are not hopeless. We have new power, and therefore we have a new responsibility and a new ability to kill sin. We can actually do it. This, again, is not wishful thinking. We have the ability. Look with me again. Let's look at verse 5 and let's add verse 6. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put it to death. Let's get violent with it. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. This, the, the context of all of this is sexual sin. Evil desires, lustful desires, greed. This is coveting you know, someone who's not your spouse, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. I just got to push pause here for a second. This is a great example. I'll just be on verses 5 and 6. This is a great example of why it's important to walk verse by verse through books of the Bible, like we do often here at 26 West, because it forces you to talk about things you wouldn't choose to teach on. Like, I'm not sitting here being like, you know what I want to do? Let's talk about sexual sin and God's wrath against it. Like, this is going to make everyone feel really good. I bet next week's going to be packed. You know, like, I would not choose that. Like, when we walk verse by verse, we must be faithful to the text, not what our itching ears want to hear, not what our heart's going to make us, oh, that's going to feel good. Right? Like, we got to be faithful to the text. And Paul here gives a sharp warning in verse 6. Put to death sexual sin, for the wrath of God is coming against these things. And we've got to talk about it. Wrath is a word that our world cringes at. Many of you in the room right now are like, oh, do we have to talk about this right now? Like, especially here in Portland in 2023, right? Like, this is not something we're celebrating. We're cringing at. But actually, I would argue that God's wrath is actually good news. You're like, Stephen, what are you talking about? How could this be good news? But hey, let me, let me explain. Bear with me. For God to truly be good, he must hate what is evil and love what is good. Right? If I love my wife, I must hate that which would harm her and love that which would bring her flourishing, right? If God is not angry at injustice, if he does not hate abuse, if he apathetically just turns his way at oppression, then he isn't good, Right? God must be wrathful against evil to be good. And here's the thing about God's wrath. God is not arbitrarily offended. God is not just like randomly, if he just pick and chooses like randomly what he likes and what he doesn't like. God loves shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word for the way things ought to be. The Hebrew word for shalom is he's loving what is good, what is true, what is beautiful, what leads to human flourishing. Like, this is what God loves. He loves this stuff, as he, as he rightly should. And he hates that which pollutes and vandalizes his shalom, as he must. If he is so for human flourishing, he must be so against that which would diminish it. And for our conversation, like some of us, we, we need to hear this. We grew up maybe in purity culture, or we grew up in the church that made, like, conversations around sex full of shame. Like, I just need to hear this this morning. We, God loves sex. He created it. Like, he created it. Like, the first command God gives in the Bible to, to humanity is to have sex. It's like, be fruitful and multiply. Like, this is a great command. God, I will, your commands are not burdensome. Like, all your ways are good. Like, some of you haven't heard this before. Like, God is not a killjoy and a prude. Like, sex is not the enemy's territory. God invented it. I, like, are you with me? Like, the bear, like, some of you are like, am I allowed to think? Like, yes! It is God's idea. He's the one who created it. Like, he didn't have to. He created it. And therefore, he knows. Here's the, here's the thing we, like, we got to get this also in our bones. Therefore, he knows how it works best. He created it. He knows how it works best, and he knows how it's designed to lead to shalom, to human flourishing, to the way things ought to be. Here's something else we need to be confronted with, especially here in Portland in 2023. 
You don't know more about sex than God does. I do not know more about sex than God does. We do not know more about sex than God does. We are not wiser than God. God's creational design, his wisdom, how he intended this, is that sex is to be enjoyed, is to be engaged in, in the safety and intimacy of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman for their mutual blessing. And any sexual activity outside of this, doesn't matter with yourself, with a screen, or with others, that is outside of this given context, is sin. And it leads to the erosion of shalom. It leads to the erosion of human flourishing. It leads to the vandalism of the way things ought to be. All sin dehumanizes people. That's what sin does. All sexual sin dehumanizes people, including ours. So again, this is not innocent. It's not just, you know, you know I'm not hurting anybody. We don't have the authority to say that. So of course, God must stand against it. He wouldn't be good if he didn't. He wouldn't be good if he didn't. And I know some of us, even right now, there's probably a sense of like shame. It's probably because, again, this is the waters we've probably been swimming in. A sense of guilt, a sense of just like heavy in the room. We've got to make a turn. There is good news here. Verse 7. It might take us a second to see it, though. Verse 7. Talking again, sexual sin, God's wrath on these things. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Let's, let's go back to verse 7. Good news. Those who have walked in sexual sin are not too dirty for God's mercy and grace. They are included right here in Colossians. And so were some of you, Paul is essentially saying. But now, you are forgiven and part of the family of God. Sexual sin does not disqualify you from sonship or daughtership. You are included. Paul says you used to live like this, living out these sinful desires. You used to be defined by your sexual sin. But now you're defined by Jesus and alive in Jesus. How do we know we're accepted? Because some of the Colossians were right there with you. We're right there with me. But now they've been washed by the blood of Jesus. Now you're defined by Jesus. Now you're alive in Jesus. So put this old way to death. Are you with me? Are you with me? See, what Paul does here, though, also, he then expands the focus right in verse 8. He, he shifts the, the, the focus here. And he says to rid yourself of all sinful anger, rage, slander, malice, filthy language. So again, if we're going to be faithful to the text, we've got to go here again as well. We gotta talk about sinful anger. And I'm gonna stand like I wanna be really just vulnerable with you guys. And I mean, I'm I'm still only a couple years here basically, and like you're still getting to know me. Like I'm somebody who struggles with anger. I'm somebody who struggles with anger. I, like, I'm not proud of this. I I got kicked off my high school baseball team for like cussing out my coach. Like I, I was known at a reputation as a guy who just had rage. Like not proud of it. God's been working on me for a long time. I'm not who I once was, I praise God, but I'm not yet who I fully need to be. I'm not yet fully walking, I would say, in full obedience to, to this stuff. Like, it's probably not hard to say, like, I'm a passionate person. Like, I think it's probably one of my, my biggest strengths. Like, I'm not putting on performance. We talk about tacos, we talk about the Seahawks, like, I'm getting excited about everything. Like, this is not like a show. I, I'm, just, I'm passionate. I think it's one of my biggest strengths. But the flip side of that, the shadow of your strength is your biggest weakness, which means the passion wrongly put, the intensity wrongly directed brings pain and harm. See, like, when I feel disrespected, when I feel misunderstood, I'm way too easily prone to anger, to rage, to malice, to slander, to language that ain't holy coming from my lips. When I feel disrespected, man, I'm going to let you know. Like, right? Like, I, I got something to say. I got something to do. When I feel misunderstood, man, I, I, you got to make it clear it up real quick. You know, like, this, like this, is in, this is in me. And like, I'm not believing the gospel. That I have nothing to prove. Nobody even proves. Who cares if I'm misunderstood? I'm known by God. Who cares if I'm disrespected? God, like, I, my identity's in Jesus. Like, I got room to grow, friends. 
I need to apply the gospel more to this area of my life. I need to grow. I need to surrender to the Spirit. My question is, what about you? Where are you too easily prone to anger? Where are you easy, easily prone to slander? Where are you flying off the handle? Where are you hurting others with your words and saying things that you regret? You might be sitting here like, well, I don't struggle with porn. Yeah, but do you struggle with anger? Would we have the humility and the vulnerability and the transparency to bring it into the light, to turn the lights on, right? And here's the deal. The hope for me and you, it's not to ignore this. It's not to diminish this. It's not to say, oh, I have a temper. Like, I'm Sicilian. I actually am. You know, like, it's, I can't be like, well, you know, it's in my, like, that, that is not going to help anybody. And I'm like, we get, man, I don't have time for this. <laughs> we need to call some of these things what they are. It, it's not that I just like, oh, I have a little bit of a temper. No, you're, like, Stephen, you're sinning. It's not like, well, I stumbled into things and I was scrolling. I wasn't looking at porn, but I was looking at things on Instagram that, like, ain't helping nobody. Uh, I'm less, like, no, you're sinning. Like, and we are called to get violent with our sin, to cut this stuff off. So the hope for me and you is not to ignore this, not to diminish this, but to repent and change by the power of the Spirit. The power of being made alive in Christ. See, you and I, we have been washed by the blood of Jesus. My identity is Christ. He defines me now. He defines you now. He defines us now. Amen. Hallelujah. Good news. So therefore, rid yourself of these old ways. Get violent with these old sins. Put off these old habits, right? And put on the new. And put on the new. Out with the old, in with the new. And this leads to our last movement. You go to the next slide. Big picture. How do we live as those made alive in Christ? We've got to get our minds right. We've got to get violent with our sin. And number three, we've got to get our new clothes on. Get your new clothes on. Get your, what am I talking about, Stephen? Verse 9. You with me? You ready to keep going? All right. All right. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. See this sexual sin in verse 5. This anger in verse 8, this lying and sinful language in verse 8 and 9, it doesn't fit you anymore. It doesn't fit you anymore. See, my two boys, they grow up quick. I got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. They grow up quick. It feels like the clothes we buy them six weeks ago don't fit them anymore, right? Like, parents of young kids, you know what I'm talking about. Like, if we tried to stuff my, my, my children's, like, feet into the shoes they wore last year, it would literally hurt them. Like, it would literally be cruel to them, right? Like, it's like, this is not, this doesn't fit you. If my five-year-old, we tried to fit him in the clothes he wore back in Arizona, they'd be crop tops, right? Like, like this looks ridiculous. Like, these clothes don't fit him anymore because he's not a toddler anymore. It's not who he is now. It's not who he is now, right? And some of us need to hear this. Take off those old clothes. They don't fit you anymore. That's not who you are anymore. Get your new clothes on. Paul's saying, take off your old self that's dead to sin. Take off those old clothes of the sinful man and put on the new self that has been raised with Christ. Put on those new clothes that have been raised with Christ. See, to help fill this in, that language you used to use, that doesn't fit you anymore, brother. Those clothes don't fit anymore, brother. Get your new clothes on. What you used to do on that, at that bar on Friday night, sister, those clothes don't fit you anymore. Those clothes don't fit you anymore. Get your new clothes on. Those old clothes focused on the self, centering on the self, putting yourself first, they don't fit anymore. Get your new clothes on. That pornography, that food and drink to medicate, that temper, that greed, that jealousy, that lust, that gossip, that lying, that entertainment that doesn't edify anybody at all. You know what I'm talking about. That clothing does not fit you anymore. Get your new clothes on. The flesh is ill-fitting clothing now that you are raised in Christ, brothers and sisters. That old man is covered in old, tattered, worn-out, dead clothes. And you got new garments made in Christ. Amen? That is who we are. Get your new clothes on. Put off the old practices. Put off the old habits. Put off the old ways. 
of the old self and put on the practices, put on the habits, put on the ways of the new self. Man, wearing new clothes, it feels good, right? First day of school, man, you're looking good. How much more? You're robed in the righteousness of Jesus. Put your new clothes on. I'm excited about that. I don't know. Like, we got something to say here. Notice that language of verse 10. The new self is being renewed in the knowledge of its creator. Right? This is what we are made for, to know God and to reflect him well. This is what we are made for. I also want us to notice that tense of being renewed. Again, we get excited. I get excited about everything. I'm getting excited about Jesus giving us a new identity. Like, I'm getting excited about the Seahawks. I'm getting excited about this. I better. Like, this being renewed, it captures again that tension of the already and not yet, right? In Colossians. We already have the new clothes. And we are, uh, we, we already have the new clothes, but they, we haven't yet, the old clothes haven't yet fully been put away, right? We have the new clothes. We are alive in Christ, but the not yet clothing hasn't been yet put away forever. So we have to fight to put away the old self. Already, not yet. You have the new clothes. The old clothes haven't been put away forever. We're going to have to fight. It's going to be a war. But the good news, you're not fighting alone. You're not fighting alone. You have God, but also last verse, verse 11. Here, there is no longer Gentile or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, that means non-Greek, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This last verse, we're given a new nature in Christ, everything we've been talking about. A new identity, which is good news. But we're also part of a new family and a new humanity. In Christ, we are a new person. Amen, hallelujah. But we're also a new people. We're also a new people. See, the text is not saying that there's no difference at all between Jew and Gentile. That's not what it's saying. It's saying there's no division. It's saying this new humanity is marked by unity in diversity, not division. What this verse is getting at is a foretaste of where the entire scriptures are going, where the entire Bible is leading to. Revelation 7, verse 9 says that John gets this vision of where all of history is headed, and he says he saw a throne, and around it, the throne of God, around it is a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping. And what John notices, he can hear the different languages. He can see the different ethnicities and nationalities. He can see the differences and demarcations, but they are one around the Lamb of God. Like, this is where the entire biblical story is going. It ends with every tribe, tongue, and nation reconciled together in a beautiful tapestry. See, some of us need to hear this. Diversity is not some progressive idea. It's God's master plan. John, 2,000 years ago, this ain't flavor of the month, 2,000 years ago, wrote down in Revelation that he could see differences and diversity, but they're one. And the particularities only enhance the glory of God. What Paul's saying here in Colossians is that Christ is now the primary paradigm for the people of God. Christ is now the primary paradigm for the people of God. Ethnicity, gender, nationality, uh, uh, culture, not saying these things are not important, but they are secondary demarcations because Christ holds the supremacy over our lives. He is Lord over all. Ethnic lines, class systems, insider, outsiders, foreign or local, this is not the paradigm for the people of God. These do not divide this new humanity. These are not the lenses we're looking through when we are the people made alive, raised with Christ. And with that, those final words, verse 11, Paul is saying Christ is in all as he indwells all people who make up this new humanity made up of all tongues, all tribes, all nations, all peoples in this new family of God. Are you with me? All right, so in closing, church, we are the new family of God, from Haiti to Hillsborough, from, from Bangladesh to Beaverton. Like today's text, Paul gives a negative warning. He says, in this family, we do not behave like this. I, I, young kids, I've told my kids many times, in our family, we don't hit. In our family, we don't whine. In our family, we don't put ourselves first. Parents, we've been there, right? Like in our family, we don't do this. Paul is saying, in this family of God, as those made alive by Christ, we do not behave according to the old self. We do not engage in sexual sin. 
We do not participate in sinful anger and the myriad of other sins that mark the way of the old flesh and the old man. In our family, we don't behave like this. That's what Paul's saying. And you are a family member if you put your faith in Christ. You are a son or daughter of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the family of God. So as a family member, what we're going to do is throw some questions up on the screen. Let's audit together this morning, this week. Take a photo of it. Reflect on this this week. Where do you need to get your mind right? Where do you need to get your mind right? And refocus your attention on Christ. What other stories, what other scripts, what other isms, what other things are filling your mind that you need to get your mind right and have the things of Christ be the primary things on the forefront of our mind? Second, where do you need to get violent with your sin and put to death your flesh? Where are you coddling instead of killing? Where are you tolerating instead of terminating? Where are you hiding and need to come into the light? Where do you need to get violent with your sin and put to death your flesh? Third, where do you need to get your new clothes on and put off those old garments? Because they don't fit you anyways. Where do you need to put the new clothes on? Here's the deal. In marriage, work, parenting, any of this stuff, it isn't enough just to know what not to do, right? It's not like, well, I grew up in a broken home, so I know what not to do in marriage. Therefore, I know what to do. That's not how this works. Just because you know what not to do doesn't mean you know what to do. Same for us in the family of God, made alive by Jesus. The question is like, well, what do we do? It probably seems like, okay, like, don't do all these things. Put to death these, but like, what do I do? What are the positive things? What, like, what does it look like to set our mind? Like, what does this mean? I'll tell you, Paul's about to get there. It's literally the next verse. He'll get there. Like, we have to get there. But for that, we got to wait till next week. So let's pray. Let's respond, all right? I think we got enough to chew on from, from today. Jesus, today's going to be heavy as we talk about anger and sexual sin and just all these things. It's going to be heavy. It always was going to be. Lord, would you set us free? Lord, would you break every chain? Thank you that you have every power to break every script, break every chain, break everything that's holding us bondage. Thank you that you have dealt the death blow to that through your death and resurrection. Help us to walk in it, Lord. Lord, I pray, as many of the things I just talked about, you use that to set me free 15 years ago. Would you break some chains here this morning? Would your grace that is so incredible that is so amazing, that is so mind-blowing, would it melt and move us? Would the gospel melt and move us to sing that better song than anything that anger or sexual sin or any other script would ever offer? Would we sing the better song? Help us to sing each other forward. Even as we sing songs here, help that to be a reminder of us that we are called to sing each other forward, to remember the good news. Lord, would we not just hear a message today, be inspired uh, be moved by the text, Lord, would we actually put this stuff to action? Lord, would you even right now be working in our heart, inspiring us, moving us to change, to inspire us to come forward, to respond, Lord? Holy Spirit, thank you that you know us, you, you, you knit us, you made us, you know us, and you know how we're called to respond today. Thank you, Jesus, that you are Lord over all. Thank you that we are made alive in you. Help us to set our minds on you. Help us to put this stuff to death. Lord, help us to walk in the new identity you give. Thank you for it. We love you. We need you. We respond to you now. And all God's people say, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Sunday Gathering podcast. To learn more about 26 West Church, please visit our website at 26westchurch.org.